Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, there's a little geographical clue in our ad hoc introductory music today uh, because we do have a special guest uh, who Graham will introduce shortly. Um, that, what you just heard, uh, was Graham who is now learning to play the guitar. So actually by the time he's learned to play the guitar he'll probably be able to play three instruments, at least partially. Uh, but you know, good luck with all that Graham and uh, amazed you find the time what with all the study and the research we do for the podcast. How are you buddy? I'm doing really well. Um, as you can probably tell from the quality of that playing, I'm not finding much time. <laughs> I haven't quite mastered it yet, but it's going really, really well. It's making my fingers really sore. <laughs> um, I suppose that's just one of these things you have to deal with. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be you know, the next big rock and roll thing. Um, and yeah, that was very much a tribute. I, I practiced for hours to really <laughs> nail that um, in honor of our guest today. Oh, I'm really pleased to have on because it's somebody who we've been chatting away to on Instagram for, well, I think as long as I've had an Instagram account and always enjoying what he's been doing. And he told me a few weeks ago that he was going on a, an interesting trip. I thought, okay, when he comes back from that, we're going to get him on here and grill him about what he's doing. Um, so without further ado, welcome to the show. Oh, God, your Instagram name is so stupidly long. It's a load film in subdued light. That's the last time we're going to use that. Uh, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Great to have you here, dude. Oh, it's great being here. Um, Eric, uh, I'm going to steal Aid's line from when Corey was here. Say, Eric, tell us a bit about yourself and um, give us your whole life story, but within a three-minute session, please. Well, that shouldn't be a problem at all. Well, yeah, I'm from I'm from Seattle currently. Uh, originally from Pennsylvania, which is a state on the east coast of the United States. Uh, I've been shooting film f- since I was oh I don't know eight or nine, and have more recently picked it back up and you know, four or five years ago. And um, the stuff you do, I mean, you've got a website, haven't you? What's your website called? Uh, that is a very good question. I believe it is loadfilmandsubduedlight.wordpress.com. Okay, that's cool. Because I know I have visited your website. Because you, if there's one thing that's particularly, um, uh, well, maybe not unique, but very distinct to the stuff that you're shooting and sharing, it's that you use, I would say, almost exclusively, if not completely exclusively, expired film. And your expired film is often exceedingly expired how did you get into that i was cheap when i first started shooting well first got back into film i started shooting uh, on a holga and i wanted to uh, have pictures look that that kind of holgish look and i heard that uh, shooting expired slide film was a good way to do that i had started with provia i think and it was a real boring film uh, and so I thought, well, why not shoot expired Provia through a Holga? It just makes sense. So I, I did that, and then I cross-processed it like you do. Yeah, yeah, and all the cool kids are doing it. All, all the cool kids were doing that. And um, it was like from, I think, the mid-'90s. And I decided, well, mid-'90s isn't that long ago. I can remember those, those years pretty well. How far back can you go before the film just craps out on you? And uh, it turns out uh, really far. 
So, um, since then, you is this something you're actively seeking out all the time now, or has it just happened that this stuff's falling into your hands? What? Because what, um, I saw, you know, just this last week that you picked up some rolls of film, I think dating back to the sixties. Yeah, it expired in sixty-five, sixty-six. Uh, Veracrum. So, how are you coming um, by this? I, I, I'm now looking. I guess that started when I was in some kind of antique shop and there was a, a roll of, I think it was some kind of old Agfa film. And uh, it was just the bottom of a box of just, just photography crap. I didn't want any of the photography crap, but I thought this roll of film would be really fun to try to shoot. And so I went up to the guy at the counter, said, how much for this roll of film? He laughed at me and said, a dollar. My, my wife gave him a dollar. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, that's that. I shot it. It shot it through. Um, I believe it was uh, like an old brownie, like an old hundred-year-old brownie, and I kind of got hooked on on all of that. Just like, oh, old cameras, old film, and why why do anything but? And I would imagine at this point that shooting expired film is probably becoming, if anything, perhaps more expensive than shooting new film. I mean, it must be getting harder and harder to track it down. Uh, yeah, it is. It is on. If you look for something specific, if you don't care what you shoot, it's a little easier because you can just buy a lot, you know, uh, of, of just just random film. And I, I did that um, last month, and I used that at the uh, at the last few places I've shot. But if you're looking for something specific like Provia, you're going to pay at least retail for it, at least. Yeah, and, and possibly more. That sounds really crazy to me because I don't shoot expired film. And but film, yeah, one of the, the things you know that film photographers say is is you know shoot film, stay broke. You know, and and the thought of actually buying, uh, paying the same, or and and if it's trending towards actually eventually costing more for expired film, uh, that's got to be something you've got to be really wanting to do. That I guess. It, it's yeah. At this point, it's almost a reputation that I try to uphold. I guess. <laughs> so you're it's you know like wearing the the cool but uncomfortable outfit it's not real comfortable but you know it looks cool it's kind of the way with with the film the old old film just looks cool i like the way it looks it must be i mean you must be opening yourself up to quite a lot of um angst in a way which is perfect for living in seattle um <laughs> because certainly. there must be films that you've come across you know long expired film that you've got a couple of roles of that you've shot and developed and have just loved the way it's looked and then you might never get any more of that film i mean has that happened do you do you, do you run into these situations Sort of. Uh, I, I was shooting for a while old Ectochrome from the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s, and I loved it. And while it's still available, um, slide film degrades at a really quick rate. So when you're shooting something from the late 80s, early 90s, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot what you're going to get. It's gonna, it could be really amazing or it could be nothing. You could get absolutely nothing from it. And so a few months back, I purchased uh, maybe 15 rolls of of ectochrome from the mid 90s so i figured i was safe and none of them all of them were were dead really Ooh. and then so i was like okay you know i'm gonna i'm gonna bite the bullet once in a while it's gonna happen and the next month i purchased um i think about the same amount of 35 roughly the same vintage and same thing happened 
And so I w- I'm just, I was devastated. Still am. It's a hard pill to swallow. And I've, I've only got a few rolls of, of what I think is, is, is usable ectochrome left. And when those are gone, I'm probably going to give it up. That, I mean, particularly given the, the subject matter that you tend to shoot, because when I think of your work, um, you, it strikes me that you travel a lot to take yes. pictures. And not only that, but you're traveling to remote locations, going to out of the way places, um, you know, abandoned buildings, ghost towns, you know, you name it. And to go there and to take these pictures and then just to get nothing in some ways shooting expired film seems like you're really gambling quite high stakes with those shots film photography is difficult why make it easier i guess (laughs) fair enough (laughs) no it's it's, a good point actually you've got to suffer for your art haven't you yeah but that only works to the point where you get some art out of it at the end that's true so when you go to these places i mean we'll get on to where you've been most recently in just a second (laughs) but when you're going out shooting will you usually have more than one camera with you so that and and be shooting with one camera so if the film in one of them just does turn out to be a complete bomb you've always got something else which you have got stuff on yeah oh yeah when i travel i even for a day trip i carry five or six cameras with me (laughs) a man after my own heart (laughs) (laughs) um and you know half of them well depends on the day if it's a sunny day half of them have color and if it's a cloudy day um only one of them will have color and then I'll have, you know, this is a high-speed film, around 400, and then a medium, and then I usually carry something like, like, a, like a 3 ISO or something like that with me as well. And you're mostly shooting 35mm these days. That... At this point, yeah. 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 It, it, what's led you to 35mm? Is it just convenience again? or Convenience, I, I bulk load, so that's just convenient for me to, to shoot 35 um, it's cheaper. I get way more pictures per roll. Um, that yeah, it's just it's cheaper. I, I'm cheap. <laughs> well, that's what that's what we're getting. You're, you're cheap. I'm cheap. Yeah. If, if, if our listeners are going to take one thing away from this podcast, it's that Eric's cheap. Exactly. If I could get the same variety in 120, I would shoot 120. So. Can you talk for a bit about the kind of stuff that you like to shoot? What what kind of you know? You're not a street photographer. You're not a portrait photographer. What what are you going out and looking for when you're going out to take photos? I well, I started shooting somewhat serious digital photography uh, maybe ten years ago, and I did a Route sixty six trip, and I wanted to make the pictures look like old like holiday snaps. And to do that, I had to go into Photoshop and spend like an hour on each picture. And then Instagram came along in the early days and you could do everything that I was doing with like a, like a filter, just a little button, one little button push. And so I gave that up thinking like, well, you know, the hours I spend on each photo is ridiculous. And so I'm just not gonna do it anymore at all. Just kind of wash my hands of the whole thing. Uh, so I started shoot, thinking about thinking about shooting film, and I started shooting film, and I kind of just had the same idea in mind that I wanted my pictures to look like crappy, crappy vacation photos, which is really easy to do. It's easy to be a crappy photographer, mm-hmm. and so 
I've got the pin <laughs> on the board. I've got the little rosette saying "Crappy for Vacation Photographer 101 Complete." I think it but depends it needs on where you go be... on holidays. That I mean, I'm always I, I'm jealous of the fact that you've done the Route 66 trip because that's one that's been on my list for a long, long time. Oh, you I, need I'm... to do it. I've done it like five times now. Really? Wow. Do okay. Yeah. Do you take a, a special vehicle for the the ambiance as well? No, no. <laughs> I did it once in a Vespa, but other than that, no. Uh, still, I'm still uh, very, very jealous. It is the uh, the iconic uh, cross America road trip, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Eric, carry on. You, so you, you were getting into this thing uh, of you were looking for um, these. Or you've been hunting to get this kind of old fashioned snapshots. Sort of, I'm, I'm guessing you were thinking 60s, 70s style um, exactly. holiday shots, um, and then you realise actually that's not hard to do being being crap especially well not being crap but creating that look with film is you know perhaps easier than it, you thought it was going to be anyway and so then yeah. what followed on from that you have to well more, i don't have a lot of rules when it comes to photography one of them is nothing obviously modern um nothing obviously within the past 40 years mm-hmm. so in none of my photos you'll see anything that's obviously in the past 40 years and I, I, it gives it kind of a timeless look, and it really helps it look like a much more a much more interesting photograph than it actually is. It's subterfuge, really. We have had conversations about that actually, about the the aesthetic versus the content or the subject matter. It's oh, yeah. uh, it's a it's a real uh, it's a real debate. I think for me personally, an internal mm-hmm. debate. You know, why, why do I shoot all of these funny cameras? And and then when I go out and shoot my Nikon SLRs, uh, and they are you know amazing cameras, very very capable cameras. And then I look back and think, hmm, do you know what? Most of those photographs I just shot weren't very good at all, were they? <laughs> so you you so you you have this rule of nothing in your pictures that's younger than forty years old. So you can start taking yeah. selfies now. So that's good. That is true. <laughs> You've got that in the bag. I don't think we saw one from you last month. I don't know what you were playing at. Um, oh. So this has led you in search of places where you're not going to get anything in your shot that's younger than 40 years old to some fairly remote locations, hasn't it? Because I know, you know, when I think about your pictures, I, mean, I, must, I don't look at your pictures and think, oh, these look like um, old <laughs> sort of holiday shots. Because for one thing, there's a distinct absence of any evidence of human life in any of them, which is I something know. I tend to think about that goes with holiday. But um they they always feel like places that actually haven't seen much in the way of humanity for quite a few years. Where do you tend to end up going, and and how do you find out about these places? We stay off the interstates and just hit small towns. And if you shoot around modern cars and shoot around people, uh, a fairly busy town can be you know can be can have that zombie apocalypse look real easily. Yeah. So you know regular. Regular towns, regular bustling towns. If you shoot, you know, not so wide and, and you avoid humans, it's it's pretty easy to do. Well, it's, it's super effective because, like I said, uh, uh, well, I mean, hopefully listeners will check out your work and they're not already familiar with it, but um, you, you always seem to track down uh, really distinctive buildings, not necessarily grand buildings or anything like that, but just 
distinctive old kind of rundown and um and it, it does yeah it has that look of something's going on here the zombies have moved in the people have moved out um but in the, in the one we're talking about this is kind of quite a good way to move on to what you did more recently um <laughs> and the absence of people there so you went uh, i'm gonna let you tell us where you went to because i keep getting it wrong <laughs> where is it you went to <laughs> I, I revisited recently what's known as the Hanford site in Washington. It's uh, a, f a former nuclear facility. It's where during World War II, the federal government came in to a small town called Hanford, Washington, and made all of the residents leave and, uh, and didn't tell them why. And so it, uh, nobody had any idea what was going on there. Later on, they learned that by the end of World War II, they had built three and were working on four nuclear reactors uh, to enrich plutonium. What, the, what it was used for was weaponry. All the, all, it was always weaponry at this place. And uh, the reactor B, which is the one that we were, had access to, was the reactor that made the plutonium for the big boy bomb that exploded over Nagasaki in, in 1945. That's uh... Great claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> yes, isn't it? So, um, am I right in saying you visited this place once before? We visited the the old town site. Yeah, there's two separate two separate tours that were available. One was the old town site, which we did first, that had the history of the town, and then the second one was the the reactor itself. So, are these? I mean, are these all completely? Um empty places now are they abandoned have people moved back in i suppose a better first question is how long since this was an active reactor how long since this place was um decommissioned b reactor was decommissioned in 68 but the last reactor built there and there were i think nine uh ended its production in 1987 but it's from that reactor that there's a lot of and the other ones i guess a lot of uh, toxic waste still on the site so there's parts of the site that you can't go to because it's it's i think it's the largest natural na nuclear disaster in the united states possibly the world really yeah yeah and if they don't clean it up within i think 12 years it leaks into the columbia river oh jeez. so this is it's a really bad thing <laughs> it's a it's a really really bad thing so is there, because of this, a lot of activity still going on around the, the site in general? I mean, are there are lots of people there dealing with all of this. There's a large cleanup crew that you can actually tour, though you can't photograph it, so I never have. But uh, the, the, the other reactor, is the B, the B reactor, is, yeah, you do, they do a few tours a day to that. So having been to the town beforehand and having yes. at least some idea of what to expect there... When you're preparing to go on the trip like this, what are you thinking about both in terms of, okay, what cameras are you going to take and what films are you going to use and, and what are you hoping to get out of it when you go there? When we decided to go inside, inside the reactor, I knew it was all going to be inside shots and I don't normally shoot inside. So I figured I'm going to need a, a high ISO. I really don't shoot inside at all. Um, so I wanted to do color and I wanted to do black and white. So black and white led me to uh, Ilford Delta 3200 and color led me to 
some Fuji stuff that I got in a grab bag. That was, <laughs> <laughs> it was 1600 ISO, I guess, at one point in its life. Um, cameras, I know I needed a, a, a fast a fast lens and a reliable camera. <laughs> so, you, and in, in, so you took in, one now? A and Zenit. In, in steady, I took a Zenit 11. Which you I'd, hadn't used. No, I had gotten it the day before leaving uh, in the mail from the Ukraine. <laughs> and I used, I think the other camera was a Ryko KH10 or KR10 that I've used a lot. And it was a pretty reliable camera. The lens I put on that, though, was um, a Helios 44, which is uh, like a fairly, fairly crappy Soviet that's all right yeah i thought it would be fun i guess to shoot soviet cameras and soviet lenses inside a united states nuclear facility that's yeah that's, fun. T- that's totally where my head was at as well i was just thinking of this yeah. okay yep yeah, definitely take soviet kit to shoot yeah united yeah. states state secrets <laughs> yeah that makes you a spy it does <laughs> it does and um did you did you have something i mean you, you because you mostly shoot outside um what are you looking for actually when you go to these places you know, because the the pictures that you've shared so far and you haven't shared very many of them but it seems that you're trying to you're not trying to show large scenes um it seems that you're really focusing in on small details little areas but you know this is only the first couple of shots that you shared what are you what are you sort of looking for whilst you're there? I really like signs. I love signs. And so wherever we go, I'm going to take a picture of, of whatever signage they have. And the signs that, f- that are from the 60s that are still there, or I guess probably from the 50s, are wonderful. The fonts they use, and almost all of them are hand-painted. Uh, they're beautiful signs. And so I just wanted to... You know, having a sign in the background of a large, you know, of a wide, of a wide shot is is wonderful, I guess. But being able to really focus on the sign and what it was, what it was, you know, reason why it was there, think something was was hot or radioactive or you know, don't touch this. I wanted to just you know, photograph the sign. It's really simple, I guess. Do you think that your desire to photograph signs is in any way related to what you do for a living? I mean, is this a common interest that you, you have across, across the board? Because you're um, a, oh, I'm gonna get a screenwriter. Is that right? No, printer. Screen, screen printer. printer, sorry, yeah. yeah. Very, very different pay grades there. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah exactly. That's, why I was, <laughs> that's the words came out of my mouth. like, oh, no, these are two completely different jobs. You're a screen <laughs> printer. But, I mean, is... Is that sort of interest in um, the imagery and typography, is that sort of tied in with that, do you think? Could be. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I've never thought of that. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Has it ever affected, because um, I know you, you um, I don't know whether it's your own business, I know you work with your wife. Um, mm-hmm. ha- have you ever sort of been out and seen stuff that's later influenced what you're doing, do you think? Uh, as far as screen printing or photography? As far as screen printing, I mean, is it, is it a thing you actually have ever brought back and gone, eh, maybe we can try and introduce some, you know, some of these fonts or whatever it is? And No. Mostly what we do is, is like, athletic wear uh, for, like, high schools. So it's going to be, like, the name of the high school with 
a lion carrying a football ripping through something. <laughs> <laughs> and and that wasn't based on the sign you saw in the nuclear reactor? It really wasn't. No, no, no. It's very boring, almost clip art boring. Well, it seems to me that there's a real niche here that you could, I mean, start doing this. Start turning these cool things into cool fonts you've seen on signs into awesome T-shirts. I mean, for goodness sakes, you, you, you live in the part of the world where this is what you people are supposed to be doing, surely. <laughs> If you don't have an Etsy store, I think you're breaking some state law. (laughs) I do have an Etsy store. (laughs) Do sell sell (laughs) t-shirts. Can we we make a note that I nailed it? You totally totally nailed it, mate. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell you what, then, before we go any further, tell us about the Etsy store, then, so that we can make sure the listeners get to go there. Oh, it's just a a store where I I sell some some t-shirts that I make. Um... Mostly, uh, I'm vegan. Uh, I guess I'm I'm legally required to tell you that I'm vegan. It's what we do, and <laughs> uh, yeah, I have an Etsy store where I sell some some vegan T-shirts. I have one um, uh, about Gamera, the Japanese kaiju. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. That's it. And some old cameras. I have some cameras up for sale as well. I'm sure. So you already have an outlet. You've got these cool pictures of awesome signs, and you're a screen printer. So, I mean, you know, sometimes one and one does just make two. I think this is a thing you need to make happen. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of. I don't. It's not that I, I don't hate screen printing, but it's a job. You know, it's like the the pizza guy who, oh man, he loves pizza, so he opens his own pizza shop, and after a month, he just hates pizza. Mm, I don't think that's a believable thing. Nobody, oh. <laughs> nobody ever hates pizza. There's, oh. a, there's this guy who loves pizza, and he opens a pizza shop, and then he gets all the pizza he wants all the time, and it's the best job ever. Ah, oh, I, I don't know. Maybe that's true, but not true for screen printing. Not for me, anyway. But maybe if you would put screen printing cool stuff that you were interested in, then it would be. Well, that's what I do with the t-shirts. Well, okay. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm more likely to buy a cool um, nuclear reactor signed T-shirt than I am one saying I'm a vegan. Deal with it. <laughs> Were you on my Etsy site? That's all my shirts say. <laughs> okay, I think I might need to make an intervention here because it's starting to get to the point in the conversation which we quite often get to when we have guests on the podcast, where, where Graham just starts being rude to the guests. <laughs> Oh. So I, I think we'll call it, we'll, we'll call it we'll call it quits for now, and uh, and thanks for talking to us, Eric, about your photography and about the thoughts behind it. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, another philosophical photography question for everybody to consider. Well, now we've had a good conversation with Eric about the sorts of cameras he chooses to use. And we all know that Graham has an enormous collection of cameras, some of which occasionally get used. Uh, but there's, I, I always sense with Graham, there's a, there's, there's a half dozen cameras that really do get used most of the time. And one day we'll, we'll, we'll ask him that question. But for now, slightly, is it a philosophical question? I don't know. Is it just a, a game to play, an ice thought experiment? But the thing that we'd like to talk about now is 
if you were, if you could only have one camera system for the for the rest of forever for whatever you want to shoot and for however long you want to shoot um what camera system would you choose and i think i'd like to give eric the first chance uh, to answer this question so so eric yeah if you were stuck on a desert island and you only had one camera what camera or camera system what camera system would you choose it would be absolutely the k-mount system from pentax that's a really good choice tell tell us about why well sentimental and utilitarian reasons uh i was taught how to shoot on a pentax k1000 by my dad and it's a camera that stuck with me since i was uh, since i was a a kid uh since then uh, you know it's i've grown my collection of lenses and uh, I've more recently gotten into shooting with the, the M42 adapter, and they work great with the K-mount. So it just opens up to more lenses. Also, with the K1000 and a lot of the Pentax, I use shooting with the Ricoh as well, um, the metering on them is, is something I'm used to. There's no LEDs, there's no flashy things. It's just a real basic meter. It's a good camera system. It's solid. The K1000s are a real um, workhorse t- learning camera, aren't they? They seem to be one of the ones that's most recommended for students to get in the first place. And, Absolutely. Um, I've, I've never shot with one myself, but I, I always see them being recommended as being a great camera for people to pick up and learn with. Yeah, you have to do everything yourself. It's just a wonderful camera. Is it fully mechanical? Is it just the battery for the light meter, or yeah, just the battery for the light meter? Yeah, everything else is manual. And, and what are your favorite lenses for that system then? Um, I'm really bad at picking favorites, but uh, I think I'm I'm shooting some some weird, like I said before, some weird Soviet lenses right now, and I'm just kind of narrowing it down to what I like to shoot with. We've talked about it on here before, actually, but um, whilst the Russian cameras tend to be mm, various assorted colours of crap, um, but a lot of the lenses are really nice. Um, I've got uh, a couple of the Helios lenses and some Jupiters, and um, they, yeah, they made some really nice, really heavy quite often, and sometimes irradiated, but. Um, <laughs> Nonetheless, good quality lenses, and yeah, they're great to get hold of and shoot. They really are. Yeah, I'm shooting with an Star something something right now, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Is that the little pancakey one? That is, yeah. I, I've yeah. got one of those, and I've never used it. It's it always seemed a little bit uh, fiddly to use because it's. Um, you probably haven't seen this lens, but it's a very small pancake lens. It's a 50 millimeter, I think, or very close to 50 millimeter. And it's a 2.5. So it's, you know, not as quick as the you know, normal nifty 50. I think it's 2.5. It might be more than that, actually. It might be a four. But um, the uh, aperture control on it is a lot like it is on the cosmic symbol. Oh, what? Where it's in the middle? Where it's in the middle of the, uh, the the almost in the middle of the front of the lens itself. Yeah, that's right, isn't it, Eric? Am I? Am I yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's just like shooting a, like a, a Smina eight M. Same same thing. It's right in the middle, and it, you can bump it a lot. 
And the they, only they, downside with that, because because it's on an SLR, that means that you you have to look through it wide open, and then adjust it to what you want. And because it's stepless, that means you you really you have to look at what you are setting it to. So, yeah, it's it's a nice, really compact lens. But how are you finding the look on that? Um, so far, I like it. the The color shots that I shot at Hanford are shot with that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll give mine a go then, because I've had one for a very long time and it's never got as far as being used on the camera. So what, so what about you then, Aid? What's going to be your desert island camera? I'm, I'm going to have to go with something medium format, mm. uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I shoot everything from, you know, 110 film through to 645 and... Uh, I suppose that's not everything, is it? That's really only three different sizes. Oh, no, I do have a six, but I do have the, the Hulk as a six by six, aren't they? So, but uh, I have to, I have to say, for me, it would it would need to be something with a really nice large negative, and the the medium format does it for me. Uh, I I uh, as I said last week, uh, I've put uh, a roll of Ektar through my Bronica recently, which and the Bronica, yeah, we both say we don't use them enough. And I've got uh, a party, a family party coming up in a couple of weeks where I've been asked to, a birthday party for one of my nephews where I've been asked to take some photos. And, yeah, when I when those sorts of things come up, yeah, I always reach for the Bronica. I mean, if if it's about getting all the grandchildren to, you know, in a photograph with their grandparents, then I'll do that digital because, it, you know, it's damn near impossible. You need to take 100 photographs to find one where like, they're all looking in roughly the right direction. But if it's a choice about, you know, taking, you know, portraits of people or even or, or landscapes, you know, autumn colours that I've been doing recently... It has to be medium format. It has to be a, a proper, you know, good quality medium format camera. Um, I've been thinking about, uh, as you and Eric have been talking, actually, I've been thinking about whether or not I would choose to go for something that I, I've not shot before. You know, so when I say, oh, I like you, well, it has to be the Hasselblad, because I've, I've never actually shot a Hasselblad. And... Uh, I'm sure the Hasselblad is amazing. People, I do, you know, very rarely you see, you hear anybody say anything bad about the Hasselblad system, but I don't. I'm not massively a fan of of six by six, and I do like my cameras to be slightly more. It's going to sound daft in a way, but slightly more wedding focused than studio focused. You know, the ability to sort of you know, in, in the sense that you ever can with a medium format film camera to run and gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think if I think it would probably have to be something like the Bronica or possibly, a, you know, a, a Pentax SLR medium format camera or something. But it have to be. It would have to be a, a medium format SLR with a meter and preferably aperture priority. Which of course brings me right back to the Bronica I already own. So if I had to put a name on it right now, I'd say probably the Bronica. Well, I think with the Bronica is that it's as a system. You do have the advantage that, yes, you've got that medium format and you've got that, but if you wanted to go somewhere and take a lot of pictures, you can get 35mm backs for those cameras. And knowing your predilection for super nice wide cinematic shots, you can get a panoramic 35mm back. Um, or get... you could just shoot 645 and you've got a 60mm wide neg. 
Well, yeah, but then you don't have very many shots on that. I'm trying to help you out here. Why am I defending these guys? <laughs> yes, you could just do that, but that's not going to give you the same same um, thing, is it, as uh, having a super wide 35 millimeter thing? Anyway, no, it, uh, it it wouldn't, it wouldn't. But but thanks <laughs> for the help. Um, and <laughs> so 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 right back at you then. Uh, uh, what is it that you would choose? Uh, I've been thinking about this because it, you know, as you said, I thought well. I mean, the obvious answer is to say, oh, Leica, because everyone seems to really like Leica. So I've, having never shot one of those, um, I'm sure they're really lovely to use, but um, I haven't ever shot one. And um, and there's just too many around. It's a bit like owning a BMW or a Porsche now. You think, well, yeah, I'm sure they're great, but everyone's got one of those. So um, I think I would probably stick uh, with my OM system um, because the camera I tend to pick up most my go-to is my OM-1, much like Eric was saying about his K-1000. Uh, it's fully manual. Um, the battery is only operating the light meter, which is great because that means you've just got one less thing to rely on. What I like about the OM series, but uh, particularly the OM-1, is it's a really nice, small, lightweight camera. Um, it's a real pleasure to use. There's a huge range of lenses available for it. I, I've got a fairly small number of those lenses, and none of them are great quality ones. They're not the highest-end ones. I've got the 50mm 1.8. Um, I've got the 28mm 2.8, and I think the 135mm 2.8. Um, and they're all fine, good quality lenses. Um, I've been hankering over for the last few months. They do a 21mm uh, f3.5 which I'm quite tempted to try and save up my pennies for um, but the system itself is huge um, they have got a lot of really fast lenses the uh, Zuiko, Zuiko I don't know how you say that word but um, glass is fantastic I mean Olympus lenses are really good quality and it's for me, it just offers the best force. It offers, it's a camera that you can use in any situation, um, even on a desert island, um, because I think you're going to really struggle lugging that uh, Bronica around on a desert island. But um, the, the glass is so good and the range of lenses is so good that you can take it out and use it for shooting events and stuff like that. But you can be much more nimble with it than you can be with a bigger camera. Uh, it's great for street photography. We talked in the past about the fact that the basic sort of size and shape was based around the Leica. So it's really nice and compact and easy to kind of just squirrel away in your hands. Um, and yeah, it's just... I had to do a talk earlier in the week for one of my for a local gardening club, and um, as part of the thing I was talking about, I was talking about garden tools. And the point that I made to them was that you want to be using something that, whenever you pick it up, you feel good about using, even when you are talking about garden tools, because you know, yes, you're doing a menial job, but if you're using a good quality tool, you'll feel good doing it. And that's exactly the way I feel about the Olympus: is that when you pick it up and you've got it in your hands, you're like, yeah. This is great. I'm I'm happy with this in my hands. Let's go take some pictures. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's the choice for me because as, as a system, there's just such a world of opportunities that you can go and take that. I mean, I've got a power winder thing for mine and, you know, it's just, it, it was a fantastic system back in the day and it remains a fantastic system now. So that's my choice, Aid. 
I I can get behind that. I can. You know, uh, I've seen you out and about with that, and you love it, and you you do feel you look and you you look like you feel comfortable with it in your hands, and it, it just kind of makes sense to you. And and I think that's a you know, it's one of the things that drives me in the choice of cameras of all cameras is is being comfortable with it in your hand. I find I'm I'm far i take better photographs quite frankly when i'm comfortable with the camera that's in my hand and and that's not because some of my cameras i don't know so well i'm i know them all reasonably yeah pretty competently um it's just that some of them i prefer using and that shows um i can i can i make an observation here though because because you two right uh, are both really creative photographers you know, and and maybe with a slightly different angle on the creativity. So Graham, you know, my observation of, of your photography over the last couple of years is it's quite experimental. You love trying new things. You love doing new things in photography. And Eric, you know, I don't know you so well, but you know, you you clearly have, and you've described it on this podcast. You clearly have, you know, thought through what it is you're trying to achieve, and you have a vision. I find the observation I make is that it's really interesting that for two such experimental photographers, you've gone for comfort. Yeah, you know, and and that's that's not a bad thing. It's just you've got you've gone for comfort and you've gone for thirty five mil. You know, and and you know we've we've heard in recent weeks about Ronald, uh, you know, one of one of Graham's current uh, experiments, I guess, for want of a better term, you know, uh, in experiments in a good way, and yeah, you know, it's just you know it it it's just surprising to me, perhaps. Uh, that you've both gone for for something that you know has been part of your lives is, is is something that makes you feel really comfortable. I mean, Eric, does that does that make any sense to you? That observation? Yeah, yeah. It's a camera that it's the camera I learned on the the actual camera I learned on. It if I had to pick one, it would be that. If if my house is on fire, I grab the cat and grab the Pentax K1000. Wave goodbye to your wife as you run out the door. Well, I'm hoping she'd be able to grab some stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some lenses or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she could grab some a few other cameras. I completely get what you're saying, Ada. I I really do. I think it's um I don't, I think it really comes down to that thing of because uh, the cameras you chose to take to the reactor as you, you you took the Zenit with you, which was the I mean, you know what you're getting with the Zenit to a certain extent. <laughs> a large metallic piece of uh Zenit, um, but taking the Rico as well because I've seen you a lot of shots from your Rico pop up. I'm guessing that's quite a go-to camera for you in the sort of same way that the um, Olympus Mu Two is for me. Is that the case? Yeah, it it kind of replaced the Pentax K1000. Yeah, so that's yeah. your sort of security blanket camera. So it is, yeah. Because that's what I tend to do, Aid. If I'm going to a situation to shoot, like when we went to London and um, in most places, I will take my experimental cameras and the weird stuff and whatever I'm playing around with. But I'll also have a camera that's like, yeah, if all else feels, this is what I'm going to be pulling out and using. And um, and that's often you know the the role that the Olympus OM1 will do for me, or you know the Mu2 if I'm carrying something smaller. So yeah. I love doing experimental stuff, but I also like occasionally having some 
results that I know are going to come through to some certain it's almost, it's almost like the yeah it's almost like the amateur film photographer's equivalent of you know the backup that the wedding the pro wedding photographer must have you know you've got to have a backup body you know, yeah, that, that gives you that guarantee that you're going to get something to give to your client because mm. Eric you think you had I can't remember whether it was a problem with the film or with the Zenit but something wasn't coming out quite right from um, that first role you developed was it uh at the at the nuclear facility yeah yeah uh yeah i don't know what it was um it's kind of hard to track down the problem with with a soviet camera that i've never used before a lens i've never used before and film i've never heard of before but i think it was the film it wasn't a developer but i'm pretty sure it was the film and uh i don't know what happened i think it was i don't know i think it was just degraded more than i thought it was I would I would guess that high speed film does go off faster. It does, yeah. Color high speed is is awful. So was the the Delta thirty two hundred that you shot was that expired film as well, or did you actually treat yourself to some new Delta? Um, I think it was expired. I bought it. I got it off of no. I think I got it in a trade from Instagram, and uh, I don't know if it was inspired because it was just the 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 role didn't have that didn't come with the box or anything so i have no idea mystery film it was it was well the film mystery exploration i would assume it's in because most people don't don't shoot expired film so i would assume it was it was fresh so hey i mean with your um with your bronic obviously you're not going to be shooting expired film what's what's going to be your desert island film then is it going to be ektar Oh, well, so see the thing about the the this is that uh, in the the way that I've been thinking in my head about this particular question is that it would choose me it, it would cause me to to really focus on what kind of photography I would do uh, and and really yeah you know, and yeah I'm um, you know since pretty much since we started this podcast i've been talking a lot about street photography as i yeah on my commute but actually the thing that really i i love is is taking portraits and uh you know the the bronica would be great and so in 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 answering this question i'm imagining that i'm not needing a camera for all you know scenarios or although the bronica could you know, be used in most uh, I, I'm thinking actually that I would I would focus my photography. So given that I'm taking pictures of people in this scenario, I think it would probably have to be on the colour side. Uh, I'm shooting plenty of portrait on the colour side for people these days. Um, and on the black and white, I'm really enjoying Ilford FP4 currently. Yeah, that's a lovely film. Yeah. What about you, Eric? I mean, you've you've shot a huge range of films, and working on the imaginary um, idea that this film that you've chosen you can keep getting forever. What what's the film that you would choose to have if you could only have one film going forward? What would it be? Right now, my favorite film is it's a toss-up between Orwo UN. 54, which is a motion picture film, black and white. Mm-hmm. Or, and I'm blanking on the name. It's the uh, 
Tasma Mikrat 300. <laughs> I can understand why you're blanking on yeah. that name. Even if you know it, it sounds quite difficult to say. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's Tasma Mikrat 300. It's, uh, I think, a six ISO film. It was... Uh, not, yes. not shooting much sports, then. Oh, no. <laughs> Is this one of the um, copy films? I don't know. It's, I, I, can't, I can't read Russian, so I don't know what it was originally for. It makes sense it was a copy film, or that it's degraded a lot since it was first put out. I think mine expired in 75. I've got 300 feet of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I've got a lot of this. <laughs> More than I'll ever be able to shoot. It's it's hard when yeah we talked about bulk loading last week and it's it takes a long time to get through <laughs> three hundred feet of anything really I mean you can use yeah. it as bunting maybe at some point in the future use it to wrap the tree at Christmas yeah yeah <laughs> okay. we were talking earlier when we had about you know you using your um Instax prints to decorate the Christmas tree get some nice Instax prints on there yeah yeah I'll have the hippest Christmas tree in town. <laughs> well you've been out with your instax this week haven't you uh i have yeah and and uh yeah trying to uh trying to make some sense of how to shoot in the city with with the instax which is actually um quite hard um it's because the instax mini that i shoot is is a really small image i mean yeah in in terms of the size of the photograph or the size of the the film that you expose it's similar to a 645 but you don't get as as we've talked about previously you don't get the resolution you'd get off a, a proper negative or, or positive film um yeah so you've got to really focus on uh what it is that you're trying to capture and uh you know i and i walked some distance to capture some stuff the other day but i was there's a couple i'm really proud of actually they're on our uh, Flickr group uh mm-hmm. and i think i've posted uh there's only two photographs uh that i'm going to talk about well at least one of them has been on uh our twitter feed if not both uh but the the one is is of uh what is currently the tallest building in london uh the shard and uh, the the upper half of it, not just the tip, but the whole of the upper half of it was lost in the low clouds the other morning. And so uh, I took a shot of that, but I had to walk some considerable distance uh, to get the, the right composition that I was looking for uh, that wasn't way, way too busy. Uh, and uh, the second shot that uh, actually I was I was really chuffed about because it was my first ever attempt at using the bulb mode on the, on the Instax camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was walking along, uh, walking across London Bridge, and there was this glorious purple sunset. The sun had already set, uh, so we were just getting into, you know, I guess, what you'd call the blue hour. But you know, in London at this time of year, it goes, yeah, you, know, you get about five minutes of, of blue hour. And the, you know, I, I, I propped the camera on the. Uh, the edge of the bridge because uh, I mean I was just on my commute I didn't have a tripod with me or anything uh, and I just stuck it down there and I thought right I will give this a shot uh, and I put it into bold mode and put my finger down on the shutter and I suspect I was exposing it for somewhere between two and three seconds but I don't really have any idea I certainly wasn't counting or anything um, and it came out beautifully beautiful uh, you know, sort of 
purple blue and and slightly red sky with with lights of buildings across the river uh you know reflecting in the water uh and yeah i really enjoyed that actually um but certainly wouldn't be a film that i would want to shoot for the rest of my life expressive though it is (laughs) (laughs) it looks really good i think that uh, i saw the shot you shared on instagram i thought it came out fantastically it's it's quite different from your usual city work i'll come back to the mic it helps um because as you said you you were it is definitely more of a um, minimalist, uh, abstracted shot, and I think it worked really, really well. I, I really like shots like that. I'm very drawn to very graphic images. Um, I, I've seen um, a story of pieces has, you know, I mean, he has, you know, his stuff pops up fairly randomly as to what's going to show up next. But he tell a few things recently that he's cityscapes that he's taken and. Um, his tend to be much like yours, just very graphic in nature, lots of just blank space in the sky and very strong structure from the buildings. And I really like that look. It's um, it really, yeah, very appealing to me. Well, uh, thank you kindly. Um, it's always nice to have somebody look at one of my shots and say they like it. <laughs> okay, so we didn't actually get to you to answer the question about if you had to choose one film, what would it be, Graham? So... Uh, uh, tell us, what would you choose? Yeah, I, I, I'm terrible. I'd probably be be pretty boring with that um, because I, I I think if I was thinking about something I wanted to shoot in a variety of situations and um, that I could live with day in day out that I have some experience of, it probably would be something as simple as HP Five Plus because it's just a good workhorse film and I like the way it looks. Um, I've seen some shots uh, that a few people on Instagram have been shooting, showing how well it can be pushed. Most recently, uh, Alex Purcell took shared some pictures this morning um, on Instagram that look really lovely. And I'm looking. He said he's he's promised me on the forums as to how he's shooting and processing it, um, but shooting it at 1600 ISO, 1600, and. Yeah, I just really like HP5 and it's a bomb-proof film and, you know, it's, it's a good book. I'm sure if I'd shot more of the Kodak T-Max or Tri-X, I'd probably feel the same way about those, but the Ilford is what I'm more familiar with. So, yeah, I know it's not the most exciting, but you got to love it. Again, I'm amazed. <laughs> it's just like you, know, you guys go for comfort, right? Yeah, uh, and and that that's a cool thing. You'll get probably a hell of a lot better photos than I would in a vaster range of situations. So, uh, yeah, well done. Well, well, the thing is, you see, if you use rock solid, reliable equipment and film to a certain extent, although I'm not sure how rock solid um, <laughs> Eric's film choices. I really don't know. Um, uh, okay, well, I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> But it means that you you can then push the stuff more, you know. Both you can push what you're doing with them more because you've you the opposite really of what Eric was saying about when he went shooting with an untested or uh, an unused Zenit ten was it ten or eleven? I don't remember. Anyway, oh eleven. Uh, sorry, I didn't. They didn't mean make a ten. <laughs> an unused Zenit eleven and an unused film. You know, you've got so many variables there where you just don't know what's going to go wrong. But when you've actually got stuff that you can know and trust uh, that can all of it can take a bit of um, abuse, then, yeah, the, the possibilities open up that way, I think. Okay, and on that really pragmatic note, we'll take a quick break and come back uh, with a few shout outs. 
Well, it's that time again, uh, which we sometimes call shout-outs, sometimes call shoot-outs, sometimes call shout-outs. Not sure which one of those Eric wants to employ, but Eric, tell us uh, who you'd like to shoot at. (laughs) Oh, perfect choice for the American. (laughs) (laughs) Let's back up a step. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of photographers that I've been following for a little while on Instagram. Um, one is, well, I like to follow people who take photos that I don't, would, I wouldn't normally take. So people and I get a little taking bit of, pictures of people in, Eric. People take it, well, well, sort of. Um, <laughs> the first person, I don't know her name. Um, like her actual name. I think she's fairly incognito. Um, her username is dollface24. I think there's a period between uh, doll, so it's doll.face24. She exclusively does film photography of a creepy little goth doll. It's amazing stuff. It's really, really good. Really yeah it really is uh, she she came up in my feed i'm not even sure how one of her first photos and i, I saw like oh this is gonna be fun and yeah after like I don't know, hundreds or whatever she's posted already it's really fun it doesn't get boring or anything like that I, or it doesn't even get too creepy it's just a certain level of creepiness that's i guess acceptable that's per- awesome and perfect for halloween as well it is Absolutely. Uh, that, yeah, I'm just looking at this now. I mean, I have the benefit of a computer screen right in front of me. Um, that's got a whole Tim Byrne thing going on right there. It sort of does. Yeah, yeah. What really... was that Instagram user again? Anything you got it in front of you? It's doll dot face twenty four. Awesome. I'll be checking that out. Yeah, I do actually. That's this is that's a really good shout, Eric. Actually, because that there's there's some good stuff there. That's it's yeah, it's got. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very Tim Burton look and feel. Think Night uh, Nightmare Before Christmas or whatever the film is called. It's that kind of thing uh, in terms of aesthetic. Um, but yeah, lot, uh, lots and lots of pictures of that one doll. <laughs> <laughs> it really is not, but but I love it. It's good stuff. It's yeah, it is. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great one. I've just clicked follow on that for myself. So uh, oh, yeah, nice. excellent. Uh, right, you'll you'll have to. You, may, is that really your opening one? I mean, is this like a like a really good music album where you start with a real yeah really upbeat thing, and in the middle you drift down a little bit, and then at the end you finish with a finale? Or have you accidentally just given us your best one first? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, but maybe so now you've um, got that tricky second album coming up what do you got <laughs> well uh for the sophomore pick it would I'm, I'm going with a photographer that i she's local i've never met her uh but she does some really amazing studio work and studio work is something that i that i, I don't do I, I have no connection to it whatsoever she does almost exclusively nudes and it's it's interesting i always her stuff is really compelling it draws you in and all of that it's something i would never do and i think that's why i still follow her uh her name is asp underscore photos um on on instagram uh again i don't know her actual name um apparently when i when i do 
have anything to do with people. It's not people with names. <laughs> have you found that one, Aid? I have, and you're right. Uh, it's uh, a not safe for work one. So for anybody who oh, is, should yeah. be working but is looking at our uh, listening to our podcast instead, I suppose it's difficult to be not safe for work on Instagram because they have so many rules. But yeah, they, actually that's interesting because they are not. This is going to sound really daft, but they almost look like candid nudes. <laughs> <laughs> just like oh, which so the but they they are uh, I mean the the these are not glamour photos um, in either the the UK or or the US sense. Uh, they're not boudoir photos. Uh, they're not particularly fine art photos. Or there are there are some that are clearly you know models who are posing, but a lot of it looks a bit more natural than that. And and the subjects of the photos are are not necessarily your typical glamour models so uh yeah that's another really good shout yeah well uh i guess i'll do a third final um someone i've been following i don't do a lot of instant photography i've done a bit but lately nothing um so i follow a photographer named joy of instant film on instagram and i believe joy is her actual name yay somebody whose name you know yes uh and she does mostly um mostly instant uh which is a bit of a bit inspiring since i i kind of walked away from that and and really walked away from impossible project yeah she seems to be uh, a big fan of the impossible film uh looking she at does. the instagram feed yeah it's good some good stuff here. it's uh, a lot of landscape stuff uh some woodlands uh quite a few seascapes actually we you know sailing boats and stuff like that mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, another another good and interesting one as well it's uh it's it's I, i'm always intrigued by the whole impossible film thing because you know it, i mean in some ways, it's almost more of a crapshoot than what you're doing, Eric. You're probably more reliable buying a, buying a brand film from the 1960s than, than you are buying fresh, impossible film in some ways. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Those those three three good shouts, three three good Instagram accounts. Uh, recommend that uh, people follow those. Uh at uh, the which point, I suppose that's a tough act to follow, Graham. But what have you got for us this week? I um, uh, had a look through and I picked out a couple of things that really caught my eye this week on our Instagram feed. Uh, and I'm going with a spooky theme because it's um, well, it'll have just been Halloween, so I'm yeah, a bit late. But you know, it's not quite Halloween yet where we are. Um, the first one is some very cool people, Penumbra Tintype Studios. That's at Penumbra Tintype Studio on Instagram. And uh, the name says it all, really. These are a wet plate studio uh, based in New York City. Um, and that alone is cool enough to make it worth checking out for anybody. Uh, they you know, post loads of cool pictures up on Instagram, and it's just a super cool thing. But for Halloween, on the 31st of October, they are doing Halloween spooky shots. Uh, I think that, have a look at their um, feed, but I think from something like... Uh, 11 a.m. till 9:30 a.m. You can book and go over there and have a, a spooky tin type made of yourself, and, and that just sounds fantastic. And they've got a couple of pictures up they've taken already, and and they look great. So something really unique and um, unusual, and definitely worth a look. And their feed's well worth a look because it's just 
really cool stuff on there. The other one um, is somebody whose work I have been uh, appreciating for weeks and weeks and weeks now, um, whenever a shot's popped up. And just before we came on tonight, I was flicking through the feed and saw this a fantastic picture. There's a couple of actually really awesome images um, that you'll love to say because it's pinhole um, that he's taken with a pinhole camera. And it's this shopping trolley with a skull in it or the sort of ghostly image of a skull face and these weird lights streaming overhead and um i'm i don't know exactly how he's taken it i'm guessing that he's somehow clamped on the, the pinhole camera onto the shopping trolley handle and walked along through the supermarket and anyway check the picture out it's fantastic and he's got a couple of them there and they just look amazing um but yes m Toynbee, that's M-T-O-Y-N-B-E-E, Matt Toynbee. Um, and his stuff's not all pinhole. He's got some really good uh, Instax shots on there as well. Um, his, he's just a really good photographer. His work's just really good. I, I always love his images. Again, it's it's always really very sort of visually striking shots. And he clearly is, you know, he's putting up his real winners up there and it really shows in his feed. Um, so definitely worth checking out. I really like his stuff. So and yeah, just great, a great Halloween shot. I love those shopping trolley shots. It, it so. is, yeah. So yeah, there's the one with the skull is is good. Just looking at it now, and then the one there's there's one with just a couple of bananas uh, sitting all lonesome in a shopping trolley. Uh, and and uh, you're right. It looks like it's there's a lot of movement in it because the, there's a lot of squiggly light lines uh, in the top of the frame uh, yeah so he must have been just pushing his shopping trolley along whilst taking the picture it's just worked so well and i've never seen anything like it so yeah it's it's fantastic uh, yeah and and uh, there's, there's a few other really great shots there as well so uh very impressive okay well uh yeah yet again i, I don't have any particular shout outs for this week uh uh yeah i uh must get around to doing more of that um and looking at the uh, looking at the feeds and the internet and finding stuff to uh, inspire us all uh so thank you both uh for those and i think that brings us pretty much to the end of our show uh for today uh as always you can find us on the instagram and on the twitter and on the Flickr at sunny 16 podcast and uh, you can always email us as well sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com we're always pleased to talk to people at pixelatedphotographer.com uh chris uh from pp.com uh who hosts the longer form conversations and actually hosts the podcast as well Always got to say thank you to Bill. Uh, Bill, hopefully there's plenty for you to work on for the show notes here this week. And uh, always have to say thank you as well to Kevin McLeod, whose music we use. Uh, beyond that, of course, um, it's very, very important. And I'm very, very pleased to be able to say thank you to Eric for joining us uh, today. Uh, Eric, it's great to speak to you. Um, I hope you've oh. enjoyed yourself. Oh, it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's been lovely having you on, Eric, and hearing about what you're doing out there. I, I find it all fascinating, and I'll, I want to pick your brains later about how you actually go about developing all of these different weird old films as well, because the, the results you get out of them always amaze me. And um, just because, again, you, as well as Instagram, you have got the website where you have a lot of um, your photos and information about the films that you're shooting. You sort of group it all together by films on your website, don't you? Yes, by films and cameras. So w what was that website again? That is loadfilm in subdued light dot wordpress dot com. 
awesome definitely well worth a look especially if you've suddenly got hold of some expired film and want to have an idea of what it's going to look like it's a great resource okay great well thanks everybody for listening um uh, we will see you next week goodbye bye And you can now go and die in the corner somewhere quietly. <laughs> <laughs> nah, horrible man. Now, now I've had a large whiskey, I'm feeling much better. Who'd have thought that would happen? <laughs> if the paracetamol has kicked in and the whiskey has kicked in as well, you know, and uh, yeah, let's go out. <laughs> no sleep till Brooklyn <laughs> no, now. No, yeah, no sleep till bedtime at least. <laughs>